As we go now to the word of our Lord, I invite you to open your Bibles and the book of Colossians, the letter of Paul to the church of the Colossians. Chapter 1, we will read verses 9 to 14 as we spend most of our summer in the mornings in a series of in the book of Easter, Esther, sorry, uh, and the opportunities I'll have on the evening service. I want to bring related themes to the, that series, themes that I wish I could pack into a 30-minute sermon, but sometimes I don't have that skill, so whatever's left on the cutting floor, we'll pick it up in the evenings throughout the summer, and I hope you will see some connections even today, having preached just through Esther 1. But now, Colossians 1, 9 through 14. Thus says the Lord through Paul. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Do you have what it takes? Jack Millet had. Lieutenant Jack Millet was an incorrigible scape artist. A young Australian army officer who fought the Nazis in, in World War II. Jack was first captured by German forces during a skirmish on Crete in May 1941. After fleeing or being caught attempting to from five different prisons and camps all over Europe, whenever he tried, they would bring him closer to Germany. Jack Millet was finally sent to the infam infam infamous Colditz Fortress, a Renaissance-era castle in Saxony reserved for the most rebellious prisoners of war. Situated on the side of a cliff and surrounded by a dry moat in the heart of Hitler's hike, Colditz was considered scape-proof. Its outer walls were 80 inches thick, and it sat on a sheer cliff 250 feet above River Mode. Jack never escaped from that one, but he did his best to help others too. Having studied technical drawing at school, he proved to be a talented map maker, producing high-quality scape maps essential for Allied prisoners escaping occupied Europe. All he had to produce those maps was a wooden tray and a pocket full of jelly he had sneaked out of the mass tent. What would he do 
with jelly, other than have the most pathetic last meal of all times. Jack would put maps he stole from German officials face up on a wooden tray, and then he would pour the prepared jelly, which had to be lemon favored because it was transparent, over the maps. He then pressed the solidified jelly on a sheet of greaseproof paper. On that paper, with just the bare minimums of the map, he could trace then with the pen lines from the original maps. Each map took hours to produce, but Jack didn't mind. He was prepared to do everything he could to help those who wanted to escape. All he needed was tools as simple as some transparent jelly. Last week, we began a sermon series on the book of Esther. And we saw that one of the central themes of that book is life under the empire. We then asked ourselves, do we have what it takes to survive the mounting pressures of living in the empire while being a citizen of the kingdom? And as you try to answer that, sometimes when you look at your own life and the pressures that the empire puts on you, you might feel like you're fighting the armies of the Third Reich armed with just some packets of lemon jelly. I want to investigate then this theme further in a letter that was written by a prisoner of the Roman Empire. What could such a letter teach us today about our lives? Can it help us find what we need to survive our struggles? Will I have to fight the world, the flesh, and the devil with my, with my strength, my will, and my gut feelings? Will we have what it takes to survive assimilation and to resist despair? I believe so. I believe we will have what it takes. And tonight, the Spirit of God will show us from the words of Paul that he inspired that in Jesus we find all the wisdom and power necessary to live in this world. Again, what I want you to take from this text tonight is that in Jesus we find all the wisdom and power necessary to live in this world. We'll see that in two main points. And the first one is to resist assimilation. Jesus gives us all wisdom. Again, to resist assimilation. Jesus gives us all wisdom. Although we don't have a lot of information on the facts that led Paul to write this letter to the Colossians, we only have his response to them, we can find in that response some hints of the problem, of the problem he was trying to combat. We know he's writing to them to combat some false teaching that was being spread in that area. Some of this false teaching seems to be connected with some heresies that were circulating the first churches of the New Testament period. And the arguments Paul uses in this letter seem to be corrections against some of those heresies that are well known. In this brief section, if you notice, we, Paul talks about fullness, and he's going to talk about that a lot throughout the letter. This idea will appear again, as well as wisdom, knowledge, and power. Those are themes that are going to 
Paul is going to develop throughout the whole letter. Yet, as religious as these issues were at the time, I believe we can apply Paul's exhortations to our dealings today with all the enemies that we face. The devil, the sinful world at large, and our own sinful hearts inside. After all, as we saw last week in Esther 1, and as you all know all too well, even if you're not here for that sermon, these concepts from Colossians that I mentioned are a few of the many promises this world makes to us, right? To replace our relationship with God. This world promises a full and blessed life, knowledge, intellectual prowess, power, and influence. These are all things that Paul was talking about in this passage. Still, with some minor grammatical adaptations, they could all be hashtags on social media posts of the most popular figures of our times. If you follow my diet, if you buy my book, if you invest in this new guaranteed scheme, if you follow me, if you bow before me and worship me, I will give you all the kingdoms of the earth. Okay, I don't know any digital influencers that said that last one, but I think you can see the pattern. The first thing Paul does then for the Colossians, as we see in our text, as they see their faith being rocked by these challenges, these offerings, these easy ways into power and wisdom and influence, the first thing he does is prayer. He prays for them, that God would give them all they need to resist, persevere, and grow in their faith. And we see that, and I can say that he prays for, for them to have all, the need, all they need, because that's what he says. Verse 9, all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Verse 11, being strengthened with all power. Those are the main things you and I need to live in this world as much as the Colossians needed back then. This sounds kind of basic at first, but it has profound implications for our lives. You see, the Colossians were falling prey to a group of false teachers that promised them some kind of secret knowledge that would unlock their access to a higher level of relationship with God, one that was reserved only for the special ones, the initiated ones. And Paul, Paul will have None of that. As one commentator puts it, for Paul, the gospel is not a mystic, all-inspiring apprehension of divine mysteries. It is an intelligent grasp of what the will of God demands in daily living. As simple as that. Knowing God's will and applying on our daily living. They do not need new secret knowledge they need to be filled with all spiritual wisdom so that their walk 
will be different. And why would the Colossians need this? Why would you and I need all spiritual wisdom and understanding? One of the reasons is because otherwise we might end up being assimilated by the many manifestations of the empire that we see in our daily lives. You see, as we live our lives in this world, as we go, it's very easy to fall prey to the promises of an easy life if we follow the rules of the empire. You go to college, you find a good job, you pay your taxes, be a role model citizen, recycle, donate money to charity, use solar energy, vote consciously, boycott evil corporations, and support the fill-in-the-blank party. Don't get me wrong, none of those things are bad in themselves. But you are not saved from your sins and accepted into the presence of God, your Creator, by doing them. Yet, every day, we are bombarded, bombarded by the message that if we follow the right rules and the right protocols, if we fall in line, if we have the right behavior, if we dance to the right rhythm, we will have a full and hashtag blessed life. This is what the Colossians were hearing from those false teachers. And this is what we hear every day, be it on the radio or on TikTok, on TV, or even coming from your, from your own Pharisaic heart. Do the right things and God will bless you. How should we live then if that's not it? Verse 10. In verse 10, Paul qualifies in three different ways what it means to be filled with the knowledge of God, of the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. First, Living with all spiritual wisdom involves walking in a manner worthy of a Lord and Master as great as Jesus Christ. How we live, make decisions, interact with people should faithfully represent who Jesus is. For instance, I'll give you an example. Living in harmony with other Christians is essential to a walk worthy of Christ who died even to forgive those who hated him. On the other hand, then, of course, any disunity within the church goes against, against his worthiness. This is why we always pray, for example, as we did, for wisdom, and right after it, for unity of thought and love for the General Assembly of the OPC that met last week. Even if we disagree with one another, which you can imagine rarely happens at a general assembly, but it happens sometimes, we want to do it with respect, courtesy, and genuine love for one another, not with anger, irony, or petty sarcasm. Second, living with all spiritual wisdom means living in a way that pleases our Lord, that makes Him happy. And I know this can sound trite and pedestrian, 
I know. But think about this in the context of living in this world. What is the alternative to a life that is pleasing to God, that makes Him happy? To paraphrase one of my favorite authors, live for money and things, and you will never have enough. Never feel that you have enough. Live to please your body and for beauty, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. Live for your intellect, for being seen as smart, and you end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. In sum, live to please the things this world values, and those things will eat you alive. That's the alternative. Thirdly, living with all spiritual wisdom means bearing good fruit and growing in the knowledge of God. The emphasis here, again, is the connection between what you know and what you do. Knowing God's gracious actions toward us should motivate us to extend grace and kindness to others. And to paraphrase Paul himself, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, if I have all wisdom and knowledge, but have not love for others, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if you are wondering at this point how to get this kind of spiritual wisdom and knowledge, Paul already told you. It's on your face. He prayed for it. He prayed and asked, that, and asked God that his readers would have and receive and be filled with all they need for life and piety in this world. Another apostle, James, could not make this more straightforward. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. This was the first thing we needed to see today. To resist assimilation, Jesus gives us all wisdom. However, and we feel this all too much sometimes, when it seems we don't hear from God, but we hear the boots of the empire's army marching on its way to crush its enemies, when we are tempted to assimilate, not because we are unaware, but simply out of fear, fear that we won't have any other options, what do we do? That leads us to our final point tonight. To resist despair, Jesus gives us all power. To resist despair, Jesus gives us all power. Finally, right? Power. Verse 11, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. This is it. Now we're talking. We join the choir of the disciples and ask Jesus, Master, is this the part where we ask fire from heaven upon these heathens? Is that the power 
fortunately, for our sakes. Paul's prayer is similar to Jesus in how he subverts our expectations of power, like Jesus did with those disciples. As we continue reading verse 11, we find a very anticlimactic qualification of what it means to be, as Christians, strengthened with divine power. He completes, for all endurance and patience with joy. It might not be what you expected when we talked about power, but as someone once said, this is the business of living for Christ in the real world. You are not called to be a war hero, the one-person army who will defeat the empire with their bare hands. True heroism, I heard once, and I think it illustrates well this text, is minutes, hours, weeks, year upon year of the quiet, precise, judicious exercise of probity and care with no one there to cheer. It is to live this kind of life that God will strengthen you with his power. And if that sounds hard, that's about right, you got it. Yet, do you know what can make it easier? I think you should know at this point. Prayer. The Colossians knew Paul was praying for them. He makes a point of making them know he was praying for them. You, here, let me tell you this. Every time you leave your bed this coming week, remember this. 4,000 miles down south from here, if Google Maps is to be trusted, an old lady that none of you know, in a language that none of you understand, has prayed for you. I can't talk to my grandma ever since I came to the U.S. without hearing from her how she prays for me every morning and how she prays for my church, that God will give us all grace and that I would know how to best serve you. So why don't you try this this week then? Pray for one another. Encourage one another by letting them know you through divine power, yes, power given to you through the Holy Spirit, brought their names before the presence of the living God through prayer. Can there be something more powerful than that? Few things in life fill us with more strength, patience, and to the surprise of many, even joy and gratitude to face the challenges of the trenches of day-to-day -day life in the world than knowing we are being prayed for. Speaking of which, joy and gratitude, this is the last qualifier that Paul makes of our tools of the trade to withstand the sufferings and despair of our lives. In verse 12, he goes back to his prayer of thanksgiving, this time for the work of God 
of qualifying us to partake in the inheritance of our fellow believers. In a sense, what the Bible is saying here is that we don't need a special blessing to be filled and strengthened with all spiritual power to belong to God. We already have those things because we already belong to Him who gives those, those things. And even being thankful for having them is a, is a source of strength because we recognize what we already have in Christ because what He has already done for us. And this idea moves us to the core of this passage. Let me ask you then again, do you have what it takes to survive in the empire? Do you want all spiritual knowledge and understanding? Do you feel you won't survive another day without falling into despair? If you can tap into this unending source of all divine power according to God's glory? The great news of this passage is that you already have those if you are in Christ. This is how and this is why we do not fall into despair. We see that in verses 13 and 14. The great news we all needed to hear. Those who have gathered under the banner of Christ have already been transported from the rule of the empire of darkness to the kingdom of Jesus, the beloved Son of God. You can resist assimilation and shun despair because Christ has freed you from the slavery in, in which you were born. You see, like Esther, we were born within the confines of the empire, in exile, away from our promised land. We grew up speaking the tongue of the empire and marching according to its rhythm. That's the only song we know how to dance to. And even if we wanted to be free, the empire and its darkness were already rooted in our own hearts. Wherever you go, the empire is there. However, those who trust Christ and His work have been freed. We just, just read that. In Him, we have redemption. In the most literal sense, we were purchased. We were redeemed in Him for a price. And now we are free from the bonds of this empire that tries to crush us every day. We have forgiveness of sin. Our debt has been paid. And now we are free to serve a different king in a very different kingdom. In this kingdom, those who pray for the good king, to the good king for wisdom and strength, receive it. Do you know why? Because the king himself is wise and powerful. And those who are united to him share with him in his inheritance. Just a bit ahead in Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, Paul says this, For in him that is, Jesus Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells 
bodily. And you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. You are being filled with wisdom and strength because you are being filled in Him. What Christ is, He gives to you. And He gives it freely. And He gives to all. And you need it. And you need it because you will after the sermon, having heard everything that I just said from the Bible, will still fail to honor Him as your King as you go on this week. Like I said earlier, while we have right now a foretaste of living in His presence, this night with our fellow saints, we go back to work and trade in the empire of darkness tomorrow. And you will falter. You will crave what they value, believe their promises, and crack under the pressure, and maybe even despair, as if no one is there for you. And do you know how Jesus answers that? How he reacts to that? What he does when we do that? Right now, he is in the presence of God our Father, pleading for you. He is doing what his passage tells us to do. He is praying for you, interceding on your behalf so that you will have, through His Spirit, more of Him, more wisdom to know how to live according to His standards, and more power and strength to endure when living according to those standards bring you harm, persecution, and solitude. Even when you cave in to those pressures, and assimilate to the world, and forget God and despair, He is there praying for you. So that the Father will look to you and judge you not by what you have done, but by Jesus' perfect righteousness, which covers you if you are united to Him. Do you have what it takes If you trust Christ and belong to His kingdom, yes, you do. You already have what it takes. And we can even pray that you will have more, that you'll be filled with all wisdom and all power from God to live a a life worthy of Him tomorrow and forevermore. If you belong to Jesus and you trust in Him as your Savior, You don't need to live in constant need to hatch up plans to escape prisons of the empire like Jack Millett tried so many times. You have already been freed. Tonight, you heard of what Jesus has done to set you free. My prayer today, tomorrow, and forevermore is that you will believe it. Let us pray. Almighty, everlasting God, you are always more ready to hear than we are to pray. And you are willing to give more than either we desire or deserve. Pour down upon us the abundance of your mercy, your wisdom, and your power. Forgive us 
for their, those things we are afraid of and give us that which our prayers dare not to presume to ask. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray and his people say together, amen.